Welcome, everybody, again, and uh, we're going to just jump right in. Um, we are in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. If you are able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I invite you to do so. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and I will be reading out of the NLT. And it reads... When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this time that we have together, Lord, and thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that illuminates the scripture for our understanding, Lord. And Lord, this may be a familiar passage to many and perhaps even new to some, Lord, but regardless of where we're at, will you speak uh, your truth to us in a fresh and new way? May you give us ears to hear what you have to say and prepare our hearts, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for that gift. Lord, I pray that you use me however you see fit. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, I don't. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. So this is Paul's second prayer in uh, the book of Ephesians, and uh, we've covered his first prayer. And this, this prayer gets right to the heart of what he's hoping to accomplish uh, in this book, I think, in, in the letter to the seven churches in Ephesus. And it's so wonderful to see that this prayer is specifically what we need each and every time, each and every day in our lives. And really, to be honest with you, what I really appreciate is that Paul jumps all over the place uh, in, uh, well, in all of his letters. It, he is a linear thinker, but I think, if I may, he had a little bit of squirrel moments in him, um, which I really appreciate. God bless him. Uh, I follow and track just fine. He lands the plane eventually, but his flight's like this. But if, if you just, real quick, if you just consider how he starts verse 1 of this chapter, he says, look back at, or he says, and he circles back and he says, for this reason, or when I think of all this, and then in many of your translations, regardless, NLT, New King James, ESV, there's a little dash, dash, dash between 1 and 2, going into 3. It's, he starts this prayer, and then he says, oh, by the way, real quick, let me just interrupt my thought. You Gentiles are Christians too. You guys need to get along. Okay, where was I? Oh, yes, when I think of all these things in verse 14. So if you just consider that, he, he, he wants to 
start to pray and then all of a sudden something happens. It's, it's like when you talk to your children, if you have children, and you say something and then something else comes to your mind. And you go, and one more thing. Okay, where were we? Or have you ever been at the dinner table and you start to pray, dear God, and all of a sudden there's spilt milk? Hold on, I'll be right back. Maybe you have a very linear home. I do not. I have a very, very linear wife, but the children and I are a mess. But anyways, here's Paul trying to land the plane in his prayer. And what a prayer it is. It, it's the heart, I really believe, of growing in our walk with the Lord. Now, regardless of where you sit and in your theology of how God works in your life, meaning to say how he sanctifies you, if it's several processes, if it's, a ver- if it's instantaneous. I'm not talking about salvation. When you believe in Christ and you walk with him and you confess your sins. I'm talking about, for some of you, if you had an addiction before Christ, when you came to Christ, God, God got rid of that addiction immediately. For some of you, it took many, many years. And maybe some of you are still struggling with fill in the blank. But regardless of where you're at on this journey, I do believe that he hits all of the points as you're growing, as you're walking, ideally in what you're thinking, experiencing in Christ's love. Um, I think one of the worst things in 20 years from now, if I'm still alive, is if I act the same way that I do now in my walk with the Lord. I hope that it grows. I hope that for those people who have known me for a very long time, that they've seen growth. And again, my growth may be like this, but hopefully it's growth. I'm not saying that there's not valleys, but really at the heart of this prayer, once Paul gets to his second prayer, he's praying a prayer that is a very dangerous prayer, but a very honest prayer. And I would suggest it is a prayer that we all need. So he starts off, When I think of all this, circling back to his prayer, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. Now, when we read this, we might think, well, yeah, I I pray on my knees sometimes too. I get beside my bed, I fold my hands, close my eyes, I bow bow my head. You know, I spent a lot of time uh, trying to figure out who was the first person or who started. Fold your hands, close your eyes, bow your head. I can't find the person who started it, and I spent way too much time looking for it. I'm assuming it was a Sunday school teacher back in the 1600s. I don't know. Just to get the kids to pay attention. But really, uh, when, when Paul says, I fall to my knees and pray, we were thinking, yeah, so do I. But to the original audience, when they read this, this was a big deal. Jewish men and women did not kneel unless it was serious. It was a sign of submission. And you only submitted to God when you really, really needed something. Even if you go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem and you see the men, they're standing at the wall and they're swaying in the cadence as they're praying, reciting their prayer. They're not kneeling. You won't see anyone kneeling. If you do happen to see someone kneeling, it's serious and probably on the verge of death. So when Paul says, I'm falling on my knees and praying, the original reader's like, oh, let's take note. Now imagine right now if I got on my knees and started praying right now. How uncomfortable would you feel? You're hoping I'm not going to do that, huh? <laughs> but like that, that sincerity. Because, you know, on, in our Western, we are more proper. 
And you just hope that I don't cuss when I pray, right? I'm just being sarcastic. But, you know, you're hoping that just pray, just pray. You know, even in your own prayer life, sometimes it's a quick prayer, a prayer bomb, a, a oh, God, get me out of this moment. And, and then, of course, there's sincere prayer. But this is the prayer, this is the form of praying when you fall to your knees, when things are so out of control and you need a miracle. And what he is praying for is an, actually a miracle to take place in, their, in these people's life and in our lives, too. And really, and, and um, for those of us who can tend to fall into legalism and like to be robotic, this is not now for now on you have to fall on your knees. This is specifically talking about the position of your heart. When you come before the Lord, you slow down and you pray and you're paying attention. It actually, you can translate it when he says, I fall on my knees. It's a literal position of your heart and your knees. You are bowing before the Lord. You're yielding. One commentator said, if you read any part of the Bible and it doesn't move you to pray, something's wrong. This is what he's praying for. And then just a quick note, some of the times that we do actually see people praying I think uh, Guzik did a good job in his commentary about the main times that we see Jewish men and women praying is serious, serious things. Just quickly, I'll move to it. Solomon prayed on his knees in 1 Kings 8 when he's dedicating the temple. That's a big deal. Ezra prayed on his knees when he needed a miracle. Where, what, what am I supposed to do, Lord, with this new temple. The psalmist calls us to kneel before the Lord in Psalm 95. Daniel prayed on his knees in Daniel 6. People at, coming to Jesus, you'll notice that they fall before the Lord on their knees. Matthew 17, 20, Mark 1. And Stephen, before he is martyred, the first martyr, he, goes on, he falls before the Lord on his knees. Acts 7. Paul prayed on his knees. The early Christians prayed on their knees, Acts 21. Most importantly, Jesus prayed on his knees in Luke 22. David Guzik would go on and say, the Bible has enough prayer not on the knees to show us that it isn't required, but it is also it also has a, enough prayer in the Bible to show that it is good to be on our knees to pray. It's a position of our heart. So he says, I'm falling down on the knees. Now, now what Paul is doing is he's, Literally doing this. Remember, he's in jail. He's chained to a guard. And I just, I can't imagine how these, okay, we're going on our knees now, okay. Um, back and forth, and he's praying. And this is the prayer. This is what he is praying for. He, in 15, he says, the creator of everything and in heaven and on earth. He's recognizing who God is. The creator of everything. The alpha, the omega. I pray. Verse 16, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. What a prayer. He doesn't say, I pray, Lord, that you give them stuff, that you give them an easy life. He doesn't pray to get out of jail. He prays for the glorious, unlimited resources. He will empower your inner strength some translation says the inner man, the inner person, through the spirit, through his spirit. So why is this so important to pray like this? What does this mean for us? So this morning I, I want to focus on what verse 16 means. This is his opening statement of his prayer. Then he spends the rest of the verses explaining what that means. 
And just, just quickly, just re, he's just reminding, I'm probably saying this for the 15th time, that this letter is to new Christians in a new church, under 10 years old, Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians coming together, how they used to hate each other. Now they're coming together, and he's praying that they would be strengthened, that Christ may strengthen you. And then he gets into how this takes place. In verse 17, he says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. I'll say that again. Read that again. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. I thought he was talking to Christians. That's what I underlined when I was first studying this. I was thinking, wait a minute. Why, are you, why is Paul asking Christ to make his home in Christian hearts? What does that mean? I thought Christ already dwelled in our hearts when we believe and accepted Jesus Christ and our Savior. So what does that mean? Why speak to people about something they already have? I mean, in chapter 2, he talks about Christians already having Christ in them. In chapter 1 of the same of Ephesians, all Christians being united in Christ. There's, there's already an emphasis. Why is he focusing on this? Paul spent two chapters talking about how Christians have Christ in them, how Christians can be united. Now in 3, he's saying it again, that Christ needs to make a home in their heart. Why ask to get something they already have? Asking them to get something that should already be there. And what I believe, and what we'll see here, is Paul's talking about the difference between knowing something and experiencing something. He's talking about the difference between knowing Christ and experiencing Christ. There's a huge difference. It is one thing to know about the love of Christ, but to experience the vastness of God's love. That's why later on when he talks about, in verse 18, how wide how long, how high, how deep is his love? If you're sitting here this morning and you think, yeah, I know that. There's a difference between knowing it and experiencing it. That's the difference between having Christ in your heart and Christ dwelling in your heart. Specifically, as the NLT says, Christ making a home in your heart. just want to think about that. Is Christ a visitor of your heart, or is he an acquaintance of your heart? Or is he in your heart? Does he dwell in your heart? Does he live there? See, because something can be true of you. It can be true in theory or in principle. You may know it, but yet that does not mean that you necessarily have experienced it. That's my hope for this morning, that we begin to grasp as we experience his love and for those of you who know this experience, may it encourage you to keep hold of that experience. So Paul, lang Paul uses language like, and may you have, in verse 18, may you experience, in verse 19, two Christians. You can't simply read or hear about an experience. You can't tell someone about an experience, and they fully grasp. They have to have their own experience. If I, let's just say I went on a vacation to Hawaii and I just spent the next 30 minutes showing you all these great pictures of Hawaii. Well, that wouldn't be a service, but what, you're waiting for me to show you pictures, huh? You can only see it, but you don't experience it. But those of you who have been to Hawaii, 
it should bring back your experience. If you go anywhere on vacation and you show all these pictures, it's nice, it's a nice story, it, it's great, but in short, it's not your own experience. It, you know, when we were talking about going to Israel, hopefully we'll go in 2025, you know, I show you pictures hoping that you'll go, it's beautiful, but once you're there, you experience it. That's why whenever you walk past spices and then later on when you come home and you smell those same spices, all of a sudden, I remember that. If I brought out a cheesecake and I just started eating it, I'm like, man, this is so good. Whew, if you don't like dairy, sorry, whatever. But fill in the blank, whatever. Homemade ice cream, whatever. And I'm like, this is really good. Do you want to try some? Then you try it. Then whenever I talk about it again later, you're like, oh, I remember that. But if it's only you know of it, it's different. You know this is true in your life. It, it is possible for Christians to live their lives with phoniness, with fakeness, with a lack of authenticity, and just living out a script life when we're all together to look like good Christians. You know, I dwell on this quite a bit. When someone says, how are you? I'm fine. Really? Are you fine? But we just don't want to get into the weeds. That's why we read about so many Christians, and, and really many Christians who would we consider to be heroes of our life, when they talk about their experience. There's, just quickly, I'll just move the two. Uh, I remember listening to a cassette tape, and yes, it was a cassette tape, of Billy Graham. And he was sharing the moment when Christ really became Lord of his life. And you know what's interesting? It was well after he already had been preaching. He goes on and describes, there was a night when I experienced the Lord in 3D, is what he called it. D.L. Moody. He was already preaching at a very young age, already had his own church, already was doing revivals. It wasn't until probably his fourth, I think it was his fourth revival in New York City, he said he experienced God's love. And this is what he wrote. This is what D.L. Moody wrote, and I'll quote him. He said, I was crying all the time that God would fill me with his spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preach again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. If you should give me all the world, it would be as small as dust on its balance. And this is a man who is leading people to the Lord. It is sad that as a pastor, I get to hang out with other pastors, and I will say up front, we're weird. <laughs> but it's sad and encouraging, yet at the same time, to talk to many pastors who, who don't know this love. They know this love. They teach us love. They, 
They know it in their heads. They may even know it in their hearts, but they don't experience it because the weight of ministry has overshadowed their first calling to be loved by God. Now that I picked on pastors, I'll pick on all of us. You know this to be true in your own life. That's why we call it seasons. And I'm not picking on it. We all go through seasons for sure, but when you have had an experience and you continue to go back to an experience, you can point to that and say, I remember him, and he's always been there. Many, many years ago, my brother had a friend who had a grandmother pass away who left him a very large storage unit that was full of stuff and junk. And this friend of my brother's never went to go check it out. It was already paid like five years in advance. And, and uh, one day, uh, this friend was going through stuff, and all he saw was a whole bunch of old, junky stuff. He called, this, my, he called up my brother, and he said, hey, you want to go look at this junk before I just auction it off? And my brother said, yeah, I like old stuff. So he goes in there, and, and he's looking at all this old stuff. And uh, before they get in there, he said, yeah, and I just plan on doing a quick sell. And this guy told my brother, you know, all this stuff in the garage, he said, but you know what's pretty funny is my grandmother's tiny red car that had big bug eyes. Big bug eyes, what in the world is that? You want to come check out old stuff? My brother says, yes. He goes over there. They went into this garage, this storage unit. And you know what this big bug-eyed car was? A 1956 Porsche 356. He's like, yeah, I was just going to give it away. (laughs) My brother, I don't know cars, but I know that's a good one. I don't know. He probably shouldn't just give that away. So the question is, is, did this guy, did my brother's friend have a Porsche? Yes, he did. Did he experience the Porsche? Absolutely not. Not at all. You know what's sad is the whole time he had this Porsche in this box just sitting there, he was driving a Geo Metro. <laughs> okay, and I understand that for some of you, you're like, so, so I have a picture to con- contrast the two. Maybe. I'll give you a long minute. I, I, we got to see it. All right. <clears throat> but th- just the point is, there it is. That's not exactly, that is, you know. He's like, I'm happy with that up there, my Geo Metro. But the whole time, he never experienced the Porsche that he had. And that can be us as Christians. We never experience the power of Christ because We're too busy driving our metro because we don't even know what we have. This is what Paul is praying. That's why in verse 16, it says, His glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his stuff. Now, I just have to stop here, and this is more of my benefit than any of your benefit. I, I haven't mentioned this in a while. I preach to myself when I look up and you happen to be here. So this is this is it. This is not. This is not prosperity gospel. This is not unlimited resources to give you stuff. This is unlimited resources to empower your soul. That's what he's talking about. You see the connection of what Paul is saying? Paul is saying that where we are living in our Christian life, where are we at? You are loved and accepted and forgiven and you have the Holy Spirit. He is in you, but you are not fully living in Christ. 
Remember, Paul is writing to Christians in the first century. Things were very hard at this time. Persecution was taking place, but was just about to greatly increase. In just a short few years, Rome is going to go after all the Christians. Paul, again, is writing from jail, from prison. And the primary reason he is in prison is for sharing the gospel. Second is because he's sharing the gospel the gospel is for the Gentiles. Although he's in a Roman prison, it's the Jewish people who put him in there. And you will see throughout all of his prison epistles, all the letters that he wrote while he was in jail, he never prays or asks God, get me out of here. He just asks for strength in the spirit. So he's writing this letter, and, and, and for me... <laughs> Maybe I'm overly sensitive, but if I'm a Gentile reading this letter, I'm thinking, man, he's in jail for my sake. It's one thing to do something, something that impacts me, but something that impacts somebody else. And Paul is saying, regardless, I consider this a great benefit. I have so much time to write. He is praying that the Christians would not get out of trouble. He's not praying that we bypass hardship, that, the, that life would be easy. He doesn't pray for their circumstances, but he prays, please make, allow Christ to make his home in their hearts as they trust in him. Because honestly, if I, if I examine my prayers, if I look through my prayers, sometimes my prayers are very selfish but it's hidden in layers of Christianese that sounds pretty good. You know, when, you, when someone comes and say that they're sick, yes, I do pray that you feel better and pray that however God wants to heal you, I'm not saying any of that's wrong, but really our priority is may their faith increase. May your faith increase. And, and it's all about the experience. So that's why he's saying, then Christ will make his home in your hearts. It's spiritual formation. It's the truth of the gospel way down deep that you will grasp what verse 18 is saying. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should. Understand, grasp. That word that he's using there in verse 18, and may you have the power to understand, it really should be grasp or wrestle with an internal wrestling. We'll talk about that in a few more minutes. But as a Christian, you know that Jesus loves you. You know that the Holy Spirit, he dwells in you. But knowing, again, is one level, but to comprehend, to grasp, to wrestle in your heart these truths when things are hard. And on the practical side of this word, this, this word of wrestling, of grasping, the best way that I can describe it as I was considering and reading the original meeting is I was just thinking of a kid four or five years old when my kids were about that age. They loved to hold my hand, especially when we were at stores. Why did they love to hold my hand? They felt safe. But you know, when we went in a toy store, the grasp started slipping to just holding the finger. But... They were so distracted. Were they holding my hand? Yes. But they were distracted whenever there's toys or snacks. But they were still connected and they, 
They were kind of paying attention, but then when people came or something scary took place or a lot of people moved in and they felt overwhelmed, not only would they hold my hand, they would say, pick me up. Pick me up, hold me. Hold me, hold me. Is what one of them, I won't tell you which one. He may or may not be in here. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Ryder. Hold me, hold me. You're scared. You cling. You cling to the Lord when you're scared, but cling to the Lord when always. That's what he's talking about. Because that's when Christ will make his home in your heart. When he's allowed to come in and not just be a visitor in your heart or an acquaintance. And you just consider that just... That when Christ comes in and he's welcome there, you you feel safe. And you're not worried that he's going through all of the rooms in your house, the rooms that aren't clean. Then Christ will make his home in your heart. It means he is allowed to go through all the rooms of your house. He's allowed to go in the areas of your life that is still yucky. You know the people that come to your house where they're only allowed to be in their designated area, the living room? which just means the room that you cleaned before they got there. Can you imagine if I just came, just pick on me, I came to your house and I said, hey, let me go lay in your bed. <laughs> Weirdo, <laughs> right? Let me go through your back, back bedroom's closet. No. Can I go in your fridge? This is what Christ is saying. This is what Paul is saying that Christ wants when he comes into your house. Because when we allow him to go into the dirty parts, the bathroom, the laundry room, the dirty clothes, we allow him in there to clean up those areas of our life instead of closing the door on him as if he doesn't already know. That's what Christ wants because when, then he goes in, he talks about these roots that are growing in the middle of 17 Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Anyone do that science experiment experiment with their kids, or maybe you did it when you had a whole bunch of seeds, you put them in little plastic cups so you could see the roots grow, and you one with water, one with soda, one with bleach, one with whatever, you know, all those different things. And the plants that do the best are the ones that are nourished that has the biggest roots. I mean, this is not foreign. He's using a language, these root system, for people who were farmers. That, that was a primary way of making money, that the roots would grow deep. You know, even in Matthew 13, when he talks about the parable, when Jesus talks about, talks about the parable, about the, the different seeds, and we won't read it for the sake of time. But you know, the seeds that last are not the ones that go on the path, the rocky path, the one that are burnt on the sun that's picked off by birds. It's the one that has great big roots. You know, all the storms that are coming, all these trees that have gone down. The trees that go down are not the healthy ones. So that's what his prayer is. He's just, he's, he's just begging this prayer. And Christ will make his home in his hearts. Your roots will grow deep into God's love and keep you strong. It's just not growing down into something. It's growing into someone, into God's love, him, and he keeps you strong. That's what he's, he's trying to really put the emphasis on. This is really what you need most of all in your life. And verse 18, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide 
how long, how high, how deep his love is. You become more like Christ. You begin to change. And it's not just the outward compliance. It's the inward change. Just considering sin, I think 100%, but just to be on the safe side, 99.999% of all sins that you commit started in your heart. Actually, it is 100%, but it started in your heart. Whatever you sin out here, it's because it was a symptom in your heart. That's the roots that, that's the rooms that Christ wants to get into. That's what he's praying for. And the reason why is we're scared to let God into all these rooms is because we're afraid of what he'll see. We're afraid that he won't love us. That's why he sent his son to die for our sins. So we may experience the whole person. Sometimes, depending on denominational preferences, sometimes there's a strong emphasis on the intellectual part of Christ. Those, those, those are the ones who word word for word, phrase for phrase. I like that. I, I like my brain to be tickled and say, huh, I don't understand that. Then there's the other denominations that have a more bent towards all the emotional responses and experience. And right here, you're probably sitting in, oh, those guys, or vice versa, wherever you sit. What Paul is talking about is all of that. He doesn't want Christ just to change your mind. He doesn't want him just to change your heart. He wants to change your whole being. And I know our heart is wicked, but yet God did give us feelings. And yet our mind can wonder, but yet God gave us a mind. That's why the whole person. So I know sometimes we just think of this and we're like, yeah, that sounds good. But what are some practical steps that we can take for this to be a prayer that's true of our life? So I just wrote down a few, um, and then I edit because it was too many, but I wrote down four, and here's the first one. The first practical way for this prayer to be true is regularly pray. And I mean pray like he was talking about on your knees, a heart position. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of Jesus take the will moment prayers, or prayer bombs, or oh no, but pray Speaking to God, and not just speaking to God, but listening to him. And not just listening, but reflecting. And not just reflecting, but going back to that word, but grasping and wrestling with the things that doesn't line up, that things in your life that does not line up with him through his word. I include reading the Bible and prayer. You can separate it if you want, but... I don't know what God says unless I read it. He hasn't called me yet. I mean, on the phone. But wrestling with it. Because a lot of times, my prayer looks like this. Dear God, with a whole bunch of thank yous. Because I really want to be grateful. But then sometimes my thank yous in the back of my mind is, if I'm thankful for this, then he won't take it away. That's just to be honest. Thank you for my wife. Please don't take her. Thank you for my kids. Please don't take them. Thank you for my church. Please don't take it. Thank you for my... That's really what I'm praying sometimes. You know, two things can be true at the same time. I really mean it, but also I really don't want you to take it. That's 
wrestling with it. Because really, so if we're, we're not just speaking to God, but we're listening and we're not just listening, but we're reflecting and we're not just reflecting, we're wrestling with the things of us that doesn't line up with him. It's a whole process in our prayer. And to be clear, it may sound like it's the easiest thing in the world. Oh God, I'm just wrestling with you. But really this word wrestling is not so much wrestling with God like Jacob was. It's wrestling with ourself. The things that don't line up. And even for Christians, you know there are things when you read through the Bible, you're like, yeah, ouch. You have to wrestle those things in your heart because you don't want to do them. Just quickly, just to see this to be true. Part of our, before I get ahead of myself, part of praying regularly is being completely honest with him. He can handle what you say with your lips because he knows what you thought about him already. And no, perhaps no greater example is Jeremiah's prayer, one of his complaints to God. And I won't spend a lot of time. If you want homework, read all of Jeremiah 20 and you'll be, what? But just quickly, Jeremiah 20, verse 7. Look at, this is the beginning of Jeremiah's prayer. Oh, Lord, you misled me. What? And I allowed myself to be misled. You are stronger than I am, and you overpowered me. Now I am mocked every day. Everyone laughs at me. Has anyone told the Lord that he misled you? Is anyone scared to death to say that out loud? Really what's happening here, just to quickly, is Jeremiah is called to be a prophet to tell everybody that God's going to make things right and you better get on his side. And everyone is just destroying this guy. His own family, the kingdom, his friends, he ends up in a pit. It's awful. So when he's feeling blue, he says, oh Lord, you misled me and I allowed myself to be misled. I don't know which one is worse. Lord, you misled me and I allowed myself. And everyone laughs at me. And I won't read all of it, but then jump down to verse nine. Then he says, but if I say, I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his words burn in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. He's basically saying, I know what you told me to say. I'm not going to say it. And when I don't say it, it eats me up. I have to do it. And then verse 13, drop down to verse 13. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. For though I was poor and needy, he rescued me from my oppressors. Then verse 14. Yet I cursed the day I was born. May no one celebrate the day of my birth. Then he goes on and complains that he wished that his daddy never had him or met his mom. That's an honest prayer. And I won't spoil it for you, but you have to go and read Jeremiah 21 for yourself to see how the Lord responds. It is kind. It is direct. But this is the kind of prayer, this regular prayer, this, Lord, you're allowed any allowed to be in any room of my house and even the ugly parts where I'm mean to you. And I'm not saying curse God and die like Job's wife told him. I'm just saying if you're hurting, he knows, so tell him. 
So the second part, if we're praying this, these robust times spent with the Lord, then obey. That's what I wrote down. Respond to the work that he's doing in your life. Spurgeon said it this way, without obeying is like filling a bucket that has holes in it. You can't outdo disobedience. Amen. And what that means is, I have some side sin. I'll make it up later. Or, I have these dark sins of mine that I know is wrong, but I'm going to serve at the church two times this month. I'm going to go help the needy. When I see someone on the side of the road, I'm going to give them three sandwiches. This is called workspace. And it's, it's sneaky because it doesn't sound like it. But again, as Spurgeon says, you can't outdo your disobedience. The temptation can be, I have this area in my life. Maybe I'm taking shortcuts in my business or my family, whatever it is, fill in the blank. And I'm going to keep it because I don't want to deal with it, but I'll do extra. God doesn't need your extra. He needs your heart. And the third one that I wrote, moving quickly here, is inward change, not outward conformity. So we're spending time praying, sincere praying. We're wrestling with all of that. Then we're obedient to what God reveals to us. I would suggest as soon as possible. I do, I do know that sometimes we have to work through it just obey, but then an inward change, not an outward change. We can fake being a Christian so well. The outward things tend to be the things we work on first because those are the things that other people say. That's why whenever you say sorry to your spouse you're only, and you do not change, you're only saying sorry because you got caught. You have no desire to change. Because the outward, I'm sorry, let me make it look good. Also, those things have an immediate impact on people, the outward. You cuss like a sailor before you, you came to Christ, and now you no longer cuss like a sailor outside, but you cuss like a sailor on the inside. And then fourth, community. We have to do it in a community. Yes, it needs to be individual, but it has to be in a community. I didn't make it up. This is what Paul said. Um, in verse 18, it says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should. See that? How wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. He includes, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people, is mean a community involvement. We're all doing this together. You know, I, I can't move a couch by myself. I'll need help. Some of the things that I struggle with, I'll need help. Someone to confess to, someone to hold me accountable. And if you just consider that this is a, a wrestling match, maybe even it's taking place right now as you're considering this. Yeah, but that's usually how I know that I'm, not, I'm trying not to do what God... Yeah, but God... Look at Dallas, he doesn't know. Or fill in the blank. But this wrestling, this term. I remember in a VBS, I think I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I went to all the VBSs. But one of the VBSs, I remember the pastor talking about this passage 
about how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. And he, and he did this. He, he had these motions, these hand motions. Don't worry, I'm not going to dance. But these, these hand motions. Um, and he said, how wide? Do you, guys, do you guys know how wide God's love is? This wide. So wide, he was on the cross. Ooh. Then we go on. He said, do you know how long his love is? Long enough to stay on the cross. He could, have taken, he could have taken a shortcut, called down thousands of angels to rescue him, but that long until it was done. Do you know how high his love is? You can't go high enough or low enough. You can't hide from his love. Do you know how high he's willing to go just for you? And then how deep his love is. Do you know how much he loves you? He loves you so much that deep down in your heart where all the yucky stuff is, he used the word yucky, he wants to deal with that too. That's how much he loves you. And then he says in verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I think that is a dual nature statement Dual nature statement means it is true, and yet it is practical, because it is true, yes, we cannot fully understand that, but it's practical because even if we can't fully understand, we shouldn't give up. Because, you know, a lot of us want all of our ducks lined up before we commit. How can you know something beyond knowledge? By experiencing it. Experiencing it grasping, wrestling with it in your own heart. Then Paul closes the section, and so will we, with the often misused text. And this is probably what is most familiar to us in verse 20 and 21. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than what we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I say often misused because he's not, when he says accomplish infinitely more, it's not for you to have more stuff, more success, more money, more anything. He is able to accomplish infinitely more in your heart, in your soul, and make you more like Christ than what we could ever imagine. That's what he's talking about. That's the hallelujah stuff. That's the amen stuff. That's the gives you hope that you haven't arrived yet, but there's hope. And he's working on you. And he wants you not to give up. Stop driving your Geo Metro. Just close, just as we consider. What rooms in your life, if there are any, that God needs to come in and plant some roots in and do work? What kind of time have you been spending with the Lord? And this is not to beat anyone up. If it's been a while, it's okay. You can come right back. What I have found in my life is that God is like that friend you hadn't talked to in a couple of months, and when you talk to him, it's just like old times. It's even better than that. Because he's never left. He's just been waiting. Stand at the door and knock. So regularly prayer. Don't just speak to God, but listen. And don't just listen, but reflect. And don't just reflect, but wrestle with the things in your life that don't line up with him.
and pray through that. Then obey as he's cleaning out the stuff, as he throws out the junk into the dumpster, don't sneak out and put it back. Make sure the change is taking inwardly and not outwardly. And let's all do this together. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time, and thank you for your word, and thank you for the encouragement and the challenge, Lord. And I do pray, Lord, that um, if this is um, convicting anyone in any way, that um, they don't give up on that. May it first be, if there's anyone in here who does not know the love that you have shown through your son, Jesus Christ, and accepted him as Lord and Savior, I pray that you speak to them to know that they are sinner and the penalty of sin is death, but yet Christ took that death so we could be free and living. And second, Lord, anyone in here, for the rest of us, will you reveal in our lives any areas in our heart that is just we haven't dealt with, we just close the door on? Will we let you come in and do the work, Lord, and Lord, let us not just change for outwardly appearance, but an inward change, and let us do it together. Let us really wrestle down with the things that we don't want to do, and as that becomes easier. Lord, we don't want you just as Savior. We want you as Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. And as Paul says, all the glory belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.